Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. How many of you thankful that you serve a chain-breaking God, a miracle-making God? The fact that some of you are here today is a miracle. And so although we may not worship the, the miracles that we've seen in the Old Testament, maybe we don't see the, the bodies being raised like we've read about in Scripture, but the fact that you have breath in your lungs is a miracle. Amen. The fact that you are where you are today, when you know where you were years ago, is a miracle. Come on, tell somebody next to you, you are a miracle God loves you. God has a plan for you. You can remain standing just for a moment. I'm going to jump right in. I want to welcome all those here for the very first time. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And I, mean, I get the honor of preaching on a very special day. This is, a, this is, a, this is a, an incredible day today because um, it was my original due date as a baby. So, uh, so October 31st. I know some people celebrate other things, but today is a special day for me. And... Uh, <laughs> I was born on the 19th, though, so I came out a few weeks early, right, Mom? I was, I was eager. I was ready. I was ready to go. But, um, man, we, we had an incredible trunk or treat this past uh, Friday night. I want to just uh, say thank you to our kids' team and the volunteers that put it on. Man, it, was just a, it was a good time for community and fellowship. And, yeah, come on. And a lot of candy. You know, uh, trick or treat or trunk or treat is different for me now that i got kids because all my kids want to do is eat the candy that they got. And guess who's got to pay for the for the bill when they go to the dentist and they get cavities. My wife is paying for that. I ain't paying for that. So, hey, we're going to finish uh, and conclude the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this for, I don't know, seven weeks maybe, seven weeks or something like that, six weeks. So if you have your Bibles, um, this will be on the screen, but you can remain standing as I read this. This is Matthew chapter 7. I'm really excited about next week as we start this Awaken series. I believe that God is going to awaken some things and some people, and we're going to see evangelism taking place. We're going to see people come to know Jesus. We're going to see people radically change and uh, have a fire and a passion for God that we have not seen. That's what we're praying for and believing for. But this is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus finally is concluding the sermon. And so he says, therefore, everybody who hears these words of mine, what words? everything in the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about praying last week. We talked about, you know, do not worry. It says, don't judge people, love your enemies, don't murder, don't commit adultery, be the salt and the light. There's a lot of things that we talked about. Don't store up treasures on earth, but in heaven. He says, all of these things, if, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, it says, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Somebody say rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail, or did not fall because it had a foundation on the what? On the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. He concludes and it says, Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law. You can be seated. You know, uh, months ago, there was a uh, video that surfaced the internet. It went viral. And it was a challenge called the Milk Crate Challenge. Some of you have seen it. Some of you are scarred from that. I never intend to do it. But essentially, you would take those milk crates and you would stack them up 
almost like a staircase, and you would attempt to walk over them. You'd step on one, and you'd step on two. In fact, I got a picture I want to show you of, of what it looked like. And sometimes it, they went as high as seven milk crates. Now, you, you know those things. <laughs> those things are not sturdy. In fact, um, people would, most of the, it became so viral because of the, not the success in accomplishing it, but the success and the, the failing at it. And they're really hard to watch because people, you know, they, they're breaking their ankles, their femurs, t- torn ACLs. Um, you know, concussions. I mean, and no, we're not talking about football. We're talking about the milk crate challenge. That's what's happening. People are near-death experiences, and it became so viral just because of how people wanted to accomplish something. It was a, it was a high risk with such a little reward. You know, I wonder if life for us as believers at many times is like walking on milk crates. You know, and the higher we climb, not only the cha- more challenging it gets, but the more likely we are to fall and the harder the fall. And, um, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, as we climb this ladder of life, it's not a matter of whether things are, you know, going to crumble. It's when are they going to crumble? Because if we're we're climbing a ladder that has no foundation, like climbing a bunch of milk crates, we will fall at some point. But what if I told you we didn't have to? What if I told you that the foundation that Jesus is talking about here doesn't have to crumble? What, what What if there was a way? Come on, somebody say way. What if there's a way? And he teaches us right here in Matthew chapter 7. He says, I, I want to show you how to build a foundation that will not crumble when storms hit, when the rain comes, when the trials come, when the death comes, when the loss of job comes, when the lack of finances come. I'm going to tell you and show you how to build a foundation that will not fail and will not fall. How many of you want that? Come on. So my question is, what kind of foundation are you building? What kind of foundation are you standing on? You standing on the rock or are you standing on some sand? And so scripture teaches us. So what, what I want to propose to you today is that the application of the words and the commands of Christ will determine the strength of the foundation that you live on. In other words, your practicing of that which you have been hearing is determining the durability of your foundation. And we want a, we want a strong foundation. And so he teaches that. So what I want to do is use this scripture Matthew chapter 7, I want to give you two things this morning, and scripture teaches us, and here's the title of my message if you're taking notes, because we are all note takers, especially if we want to get into heaven, we take notes, and that is the, God is teaching us, the scripture is teaching us the right building blocks. Come on, the right building blocks. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, and Lord, I know so many of us are in this place, and maybe we're hurt, maybe we're burdened by things, maybe we got things that we're focusing on after church, that we're ready to get to. No, I'm not talking about watching the Dolphins lose. We're talking about the Dolphins winning, Jesus. Yes. Amen. But God, I just pray that this, this word you're teaching would begin to shape us, challenge us, and teach us something that maybe we don't know or maybe we haven't heard in quite some time. Help us to build a foundation. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you look good this morning. You look, some of you are like, Jacob, you're causing me to lie in church. (laughs) Some of you are like, amen, preach. Forgive me, Lord, I've just lied. Um, How many of you would say that I am a much better uh, talker than listener? I'm a much better talker than listener. Come on. uh, There we go. You don't even have to raise your hand. We know who you are. All right, we know that you're not listening to us when we're talking to you, and so we avoid you because you don't really care about us. The only thing that you are concerned about is talking and replying back to what we have to say. 
Facts, right? Many, many of you, me at times, we have no intentions of really listening or understanding. All we have uh, intended is just to start talking as soon as you stop talking. I've shared this quote before. This is by Corey Ten Boom. Or, sorry, this is by Stephen Covey. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand, but they listen with the intent to reply. Come on. Some of you are like, that's all I needed to hear, Jacob. I've been convicted. Don't convict me no more. I'm going to get out of here now and confess my sins. Most of us are listening not with the intent to understand, but with the intent to reply. But what if I told you that Scripture tells us to listen more than speak? In James chapter 1, verse 19, he writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be, come on, say it with me, quick to listen and slow to speak. Some of you went back to that Zootopia movie with that sloth. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, I cannot. That, that's, that's an accurate description of the DMV right there. I think I talked about the DMV last week. I don't know what my obsession about the DMV is, but I have an appointment that I have to cancel that I scheduled two months ago. Uh, just slow in being there and slow in uh, booking an appointment. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, it's important to understand who James is dealing with here because he's talking to the 12 tribes who have scattered amongst the nations. And um, he's looking at the new Christian, you know, Jewish community there. And amongst a lot of issues that are happening, there's one he's dealing with, and that's a lack of spiritual maturity. People just didn't want to grow up. Come on, tell somebody next to you, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Warren Wearsby said, too many Christians are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. Mm. God is looking for some mature men and women. Come on, God is looking for some mature men and women to stand up, to stop compromising, to really believe this, to stand on this. To stop sinning, to leave a lifestyle of sin, to fight for unity. God is looking for some mature men and women to fill out the commandments and the missions that God has called them to, to walk in. Amen. And so um, James is like, yo, for, for starters, um, how, about you, how about you listen more than you speak? Because you are speaking way too, too much. He says this in verse 26. He says, uh, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. He goes on in chapter 3 to talk about controlling your tongue and the damage and the catastrophic destruction that your tongue has. Because how many know that? And we, get in, we get in some big trouble with, with, our, with our mouths. Some big tr- Amen. Amen, JC. <laughs> Amen. Like, we get in some, we get in some big trouble with what we say, because many of us, man, we have walked away from conversations with our head down saying, man, I should have just shut my mouth. I shouldn't have said anything. Or maybe you were at a friend's house with your family and you're leaving because you got in a fight because you decided to bring up politics and uh, you're walking to your car and your wife is like, why did you even talk about politics? You knew, you knew, I knew, I just wanted to stir up the pot. <laughs> I just wanted but now you're leaving and you said, I should have just... I should have just shut my mouth. In fact, this goes on to say in Proverbs 10, 19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and tell them, keep, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Don't do that. that. If you tell me to do that, I already told them that they were good looking. I'm going to tell them the truth now, all right? I ain't going to say anything. In other words, the wise thing for you to do would be to measure your words because the more the more you talk, it seems like the more inaccurate you begin to, uh, to sound, right? And so we just got to be a, do a better job at 
at listening. Somebody say listen. Maybe you're, maybe you're great at listening, but odds are maybe you're not great at listening. Remember, we, we often listen with the intent to reply rather than the intent to understand. And uh, we just have a hard time because it just for me, it's like when I'm watching sports, my, my wife really has to get my attention. And I've got, to, I've got to, in my heart, pray and say, God, this is more important. And so, so I pause. She knows I have to pause it. Even if I'm watching a show, even if I'm watching like live TV, you know, I just I, I pause because I got that thing that I can do that with, you know, pause. And I look at my wife and I say, you are more important than this right now. What do you have to say? <laughs> That's a few of the times. Most of the times uh, I'm like, I'm watching something right now, you know. Uh, but it's just that's, just, that's just the way it is. And if married woman, can I, can I just tell you in this room, um, if, if you're looking for somebody to share your secrets with, share them with your husband. He ain't going to tell anybody because he didn't listen to what you were saying. Yeah? Amen. <laughs> and to the men in this room who aren't married yet, all right? To the men who aren't married yet. When you get married and your wife is talking, you're listening. It's pretty much like, you know, looking at the terms and conditions of that website you need to get onto. You don't really know what it says. You don't really care what it says, but you got to agree with it. You got to agree with it to move on. <laughs> Amen. All right. So, so what I want to do uh, is give us two, two building blocks that I believe through this scripture clearly is teaching us on how to build a foundation that will stand the test of time a foundation that is built on the rock. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first one. I want to talk about two blocks. The first one is building the hearing block. Somebody say hearing. Building the hearing block. As if we're laying a foundation and, and there's two essential blocks that need to be established, that need to go together. We can't just have one or we can't have the other, but we got to have both together. And so the first one is uh, the hearing block. Isn't it interesting that what we ought to listen to, we ignore, and what we ought to ignore, we listen to. You know, for example... I want to watch sports, but I know I need to listen to my wife. What do I do at times? I ignore her, and I watch what I want to watch, or I listen to what I want to watch. But what I should be doing is ignoring what I don't need and listening to what I do need. You know, it's the same thing when it, goes, when it comes to students in a classroom. I know I need to listen to the teacher, but I really listen to my classmates. Or it's the man who's blinded by love, deafened by love, and there's no way of getting any common sense you know, blinded by love at first sight. I don't really think that's going to work out, but, man, they're just blinded by love. They, they don't want to hear anything. They don't want to see anything. Or it's the athlete who would say, um, I can't listen to my coach because I just know way more than them. So how can I respect them? How can I learn from them? It's, it's, again, it's listening to what we should be ignoring, and it's ignoring what we should be listening to. This is what we would call selective attention or selective listening. It's, it's, uh, it's most of what we believe and most of how we feel determines how we operate. It determines how we, how we listen. And the result is I only listen to what I want and I don't listen to what I don't want. And life is good that way, yeah? No, it's not. And so if we're gonna build this hearing block, I wanna give you this first thing. This may not be on the screen, but um, in order to build a hearing block that is gonna lay a foundation that helps stand the test of time, we have to hear what you need to hear and not hear what you wanna hear. Hear what you need to hear, not hear what you want to hear. Go to 1 Kings chapter 22 with me if you have your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings is before 2 Kings, in case you're wondering where it's at. You're welcome. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 22. You've got two kings here, and I want to kind of set the scene. You've got the king of Israel who's named Ahab, and you have the king of Judah who's named Jehoshaphat. And uh, king, king Ahab wasn't a... Righteous man in the eyes of God was evil and decided it was time to take back some land that 
was run by somebody else. And he figured it was time because this land was ours and we don't have any conflict right now, but I want that land because it's mine. It was mine. And so I'm going to attack them and take back what was mine. Again, no issues, no, no war going on with these people. They're civilized. But he just felt like it was time to take back the land. And so he brings in another king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, who um, they have a, a relationship because their kids have married into each other's families. And so he brings the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, over. And he says, let's do this together. Let's put our armies together and let's go, let's go take back. Come on, somebody say, take back some land. Let's go take back some land. Jehoshaphat responds in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 5. He says, first, somebody say first. First, seek the counsel of the Lord. Man, I wonder how much that would change in our life. If the decisions we made, if the people we went after, if the, uh, if the conversations we had, if the things we purchased, we said, you know what? First, I will seek the counsel of the Lord. Before I go asking my friends, before I go asking my social media accounts, before I do a poll on Twitter, I will first seek the Lord. I wonder what would change in your life if you said first. Come on, somebody say first. First, I will seek the counsel of God. So this is it's important to note that Jehoshaphat is a righteous man, has made plenty of mistakes, but overall has sought to please the Lord as a king. And so King Ahab invites this guy over, and Jehoshaphat says, let's first seek the counsel of the Lord. Okay. So King Ahab in verse 6, he brings together prophets, about 400 men. I don't know about you, but I'm making a decision with 400 people in the room, ain't no decision being made, that's for sure. He says, he brings in 400 men, and he asks them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? And they respond basically like that. They say, go. Ah, yeah, you're going to win. Victory is certain. You got this. Go. You will, you will be given. Into, you know, you, you'll, you'll find victory. 400 prophets. We've heard that before. We've heard something like that. 400 something prophets back in 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah on Mount Carmel. When he uh, has a spiritual showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, you prove to me that your God is real and I prove to you that my God is real. And Elijah, one man against 450 prophets of Baal. You know the showdown. He, he, he prays. They pray. They cry out. They cut themselves. They try and kill them. I mean, they do everything. They, and, and Elijah's like, maybe your God is relieving himself. You know, <laughs> cry louder, shout louder. But ultimately, uh, we know Elijah wins because, because God is real. And God answers Elijah's prayer. And, and what happens to the prophets of Baal? Well, they were sentenced to death. And so now, just chapters later, we have 400 prophets. Pro maybe these were replacements of those, those prophets. But King Ahab, knowing who King Jehoshaphat was, a righteous man, probably intermingled some other prophets in there that maybe spoke of God and spoke of the, the right God. And, and so he, he brings these people in and you know, he says, what, what should I do? You know, sh 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 should I go? And, and these people, the, the difference between some of these prophets and the prophets of Baal is that they were actually speaking in the name of the Lord, at least they thought. They, they were speaking in the authority of the Lord, which arises a question, how do we differentiate a voice that we may assume is God's and a voice of, that is God's? And this, this is what's happening. You know, King Jehoshaphat is like, you got all these people who, who, who are essentially telling you what, what, what you want to hear, and he says, shall I go? Shall I do it? Shall I... Shall I, shall I find victory? They were, they were happy to please the king. They were happy to tell him what he wanted to hear. Now, let's, let's, let's pause that story right there. Let's put that on the shelf for just a second. We'll get back to that. Isn't it interesting how it's so easy for us to find and surround ourselves with people that only tell us what we want to hear? And in fact, if you tell me what I don't want to hear, 
I'm, I'm following you. I don't want you in my life. I ain't inviting you over to my Thanksgiving. You know, you're out of here. We do this to our own family sometimes. You don't tell me what I want. You don't tell me what I want to hear. Then I, then I, will, then I, will, cast, I will cast you out. Because it's so easy just to surround ourselves with people that all they do is applaud us, encourage us, tell us what we exactly want to hear. Say things like, man, I know she ain't serving the Lord. She's far from God, but she's hot. And maybe you can change her and lead her to the Lord when you start dating her. That's, a, that's missionary dating right there. Does that work? No. Maybe, but I haven't seen it work. You know, just, just one bite. Come on, you, you got this. I'll do it with you. And I'll, you got a bunch of people with you all saying the same thing. That, that's, that was my thing. Dad, mom, my friends are all saying the same thing. My, my friends are all doing it. Why can't I do it? There, there's a scripture in Proverbs. I'm not sure the, where, where it's at. But it says, if you want to be wise, hang with the wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. And just because everybody is doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just because culture says it's good doesn't mean it's good. Just because a country over there says this is how we do it, it does not mean that's how we do it. You've got to go back to this. You've got to go back to this. Man, I don't get my, my dad always says, I don't get my marching orders from the government. I get my marching orders from Jesus. Amen. And so just because, man, there's a bunch of sheep going one way. Doesn't mean it's the right way. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many will take. But narrow is the path that leads to righteousness and few will take. And so if you've got a bunch of people around you that are just saying what you want, odds are they ain't saying what you need. We become so fixated not, to not only what's pleasing to our flesh, but to what's pleasing to our ears. And therefore we have abandoned every voice of truth in our lives. Because we don't want to hear what we need to hear. We'd rather hear what we want to hear. We'd rather be accepted than corrected. And I know that's, that's tough to even say because, um, you know, especially with those who have maybe left the faith, left the church, and I have friends that have done this, and maybe you know people that have done this, they, they have just, they've, they've left it all because they've been hurt. And can I just say this, man, I, I know that has happened to many people, and I know that is true, and, and, and there have been churches that there has been spiritual abuse, there has been manipulation, it's been maybe more performance-driven. There hasn't really been grace offered, and, and, and you're hurt, you're, you feel condemned, and, and then you just leave. You, you, you forget it all because you don't even, you've been so hurt. Can I just say as, as a church that we're sorry? That if that's you watching it online, if that's you here, you've been hurt by a church, that, that's not the heart of God. The problem with the church is that there's people in the church, and the problem with people is that, my, they are imperfect. And people got issues, a lot of issues. Even the people that stand up on this stage, not, not as many as you guys. I'm just, just joking. <laughs> I have a lot of issues. I'll be the first to admit. I, I, this is where I vent my marriage problems, my being a father problems. You know, I just, this is my, uh, this is what, what do they say in the Catholic church? This is my confession booth right here. This is my father, church I have sinned. You know, just being honest with you. Um, I don't even know where I was. It's so easy to, the message, that's it. It's so easy to surround ourselves with people that only tell us what we want. And, and so the, the problem is, is that I find myself being around people who accept me and, rather than trying to help me. And, and that's not the heart of God. You know, the, the, the church, can I just read what the heart of God is? This is found in chapter 3 of the book of Titus. This is the heart of God. But when the kindness, come on, somebody say kindness. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we've done. I mean, I'm not accepted by my friends because of how cool I am or the great things that I've done. I'm accepted by God for just being me because I'm his child. 
I'm coming with the flaws. I come with the issues. I come with the baggage. I come with it all. But God is good, and he wants what's best for his children. He says he saved us not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. Man, some of us have experienced mercy. We've experienced mercy from, from employers or people, but from God it's a whole different level. It says, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In Romans chapter 2, it says it is his kindness leads us to repentance. Can I just say that I don't know where you're at or how hurt you've been, but in the heart of God is unconditional love. Unconditional love. You know, but it doesn't end there because if you look at the story when Jesus catches the, or Jesus is confronted with the woman who caught in adultery, which by the way, we don't know where the man was at that time. Why wasn't he there? The woman was there. What did he say to that woman who was caught in adultery? He said, your sins are forgiven. And then did he just say go? No, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now go and leave your life of sin. You see, when you come to Jesus, when you repent and you start walking in repentance, you start walking in forgiveness, that's then where the change begins to happen. It's not, I need you to fix yourself. I need you to change yourself. I need you to get all right before you come to church. I wouldn't be at church then. It's saying, come as you are, you who are broken, you who are bruised, you who are beaten. Come to the altar. You don't have to shape up. Just show up. But when you show up and when you seek forgiveness and when everything about you changes, then the change begins to take place. And so, yeah, you know, the church was just trying to change me. Well, that ain't the church's job. The church is to introduce you to the one who can change you. But change will be taking place. It's got to happen. It happens with what we say. It happens with what we do. It happens with who we hang out with. It happens with what we listen to. Some of you know this. When you got saved, everything about you, that was sinful left. For some of us, it's, it's taking some time. It's slowly departing from us, but it, it, we're still seeing some progress. Come on, tell somebody next to you, there's got to be some change. There's got to be some change. That's, this, this is the heart of God, and, and, ch- and change is, is, is constant. Change it has to be evident. It's, it's always happening, but It hurts. Discipline hurts. Corey Ten Boom says it hurts when God has to pry things out of your hands. Oof, come on. It hurts when God has to pry things. You know, my son has been, has been taking markers and drawing all over our white walls. And I got I to gotta take that marker from his hand. I, I, I say, you can't do that, Beckham. He's only 18 months. He should know better, though. You can't take that mar- I say, it just hurts him. This isn't how you do it. So, so we, don't, we don't get eager to be disciplined. We're not excited about correction. I wasn't excited running to my room when my dad said, I'm going to spank you. First, I'd say, Dad, I'm 18 years old. You better not spank me. I'm a, I'm a grown man. You know, but I wasn't eager. I was frantically looking for as many pairs of underwear as I could put on my butt because I did not want to feel that. No one's eager to be corrected. Nobody finds pleasure in correction, but, you know, it says this in uh, Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it seems painful. How many know that? It, it's, it, is, it is painful. But I thank God for that pain. I thank God for that, that bruising. I thank God for those beatings. I thank, I thank God for that correction because I wouldn't be who I am today. Some of you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. I thank God for altering with, with correction and even pain, altering my life. It's not pleasant. It says it's painful. 
But later on, come on, somebody say later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and a peace for those who have been trained by it. Write this down. Those who run from instruction run towards destruction. Those who run from instruction runs towards, run towards destruction. I just wonder how many of us are in a place that we don't want to be in because we've avoided every single voice of truth, voice of correction, voice of discipline. In fact, you know, we, we, just, we just assumed that uh, every helpful voice was really a, a, a hurtful voice. But can I tell you, there is still time. God is still good. God loves you. He wants what's best for you. He has a plan for you. Doesn't matter how many steps away you are from God, it's only one step back. He, he loves you, church. He says, come as you are. He says to the prodigal son or daughter, he says, come back as you are. I don't need you to get your finances settled. You ain't have any finances. Just come back. Come on, somebody say, come back. Just, just come back as you are. That's the greatest thing about God, isn't that? I love that, man. I don't have to shape up to show up. I just show up. But when I show up, I change. When people show up, God is looking for, for change. I, know I may have chased a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I just want you to know the church isn't here to change you, but it's here to introduce you to the one who can change you. And now that you've been changed, you think differently, you walk differently. And in fact, how you walk and how you are disciplined, it actually produces a righteousness. And so before you go ignoring the correction, ignoring the discipline, ask yourself, I know this isn't what I want to hear, but is this what I need to hear? So let's go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. King Ahab, King Jehoshaphat. We gotta, we gotta get our land back. Josephat's like, let's seek counsel from the Lord. King Ahab's like, all right, I got 400 prophets over here. They're gonna tell me what I want. He, he didn't even know. But come on in. What do they say? Go, for you will find victory. And Jehoshaphat isn't dumb. He's saying, where, where is there a prophet of the Lord? Where are they? Do you have any left? And listen, listen to what it says in verse eight. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat. There is still one, at least he was honest. There, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. He's blah, blah, blah. You know, he just, he just, he just, I just, I just don't like him. It sounds like a little girl right here. You know, I just, I just don't want him anymore because he never prophesies anything good about me. He never has anything nice to say about me. He's always mean and rude. He always hits me and takes my crayons. I just, I just, yeah, wow, yeah. I'm like, is that a little girl speaking or is that, is that a king of, of Israel? He says, but there's, there's one. They never say anything good about me. He's always bad. He is, he is Micaiah, son of Imla. They, they, they used to be my friends, but they never told me the truth, so they're not my friends anymore. Oh, oh he used to be my, be my pastor, but they were always calling me out on my sin, so I left. They used to be my wife. I used to be married to them, but they told me how to dress, so I just, no, it's not an excuse. I'm just, that's, that's not... We start making excuses, we, we, we start justifying our actions, and we start accusing the people that are the most honest with us. I mean, can I just ask you this? Do you have anybody in your life that you've given uh, the approval to call you out at any moment in your life? Do you have anybody like that? Sure. My husband, he's, he's always calling me out. Or my kids, they're always telling me when I make mistakes. I'm talking about somebody else that's older than you, or that's around your age that isn't afraid to call you out when you're not following God, when you're walking in sin. And uh, there was one. His name was Micaiah. He says in verse 23, 1 Kings 22, 23, So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in your mouths of all of these prophets of yours. Here's what the Lord has decreed. This is 1 Kings 22, verse 23, by the way. 
It says, the Lord has decreed disaster for you. Nope. <laughs> send that man to prison. We're going to war. And what do they do? They do exactly that. They send Micaiah to prison. King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat, they go to war. And uh, are they victorious? No. Now, God actually spares King Jehoshaphat's life. But King of, king of uh, Israel, King Ahab, he dresses up like a soldier so he doesn't look like the king. So he can go into battle and he dies accidentally. Like an arrow, just shoom, pff, dead, you know. He wasn't even, they weren't even trying to kill, they were trying to kill the king. They just killed some soldier, and that was, that was the king. And the foundation that King Ahab built over Israel began to crumble. Even passed on to his son, and it began to crumble. And I just wonder if many of us, we've, we haven't really built up this, this hearing block. We haven't done a great job. Therefore, we have little to no foundation. And how are we supposed to do something that we don't even, we don't even hear correctly? How are we supposed to do what we need to do if we're only listening to what we want to do. It, it, it's not going to work. We're going to build a foundation that isn't solid. We're going to build a foundation that is actually built on sand. So, um, so, so what happens when we decide to hear what we need to hear and we receive it? Come on, somebody say receive it. What happens when I hear what I need to hear, even though I don't like it, even though I don't really care, but you're trying to bring correction to me, you're trying to bring discipline to me, what happens? Go to Acts chapter 2. I'm spending a lot of time on this first one because if we don't get this one, we'll never get the second one. Acts chapter 2. You've, you've, uh, we've talked about this. Uh, Jesus you know, dies on the cross. He's, he's buried. He rises from the grave and he ascends to heaven. He leaves, his, leaves the Holy Spirit. And um, you know, the, the day of Pentecost happens and the disciples are like, man, this is crazy. And, and Peter stands up to the, to the pulpit and he preaches to thousands of people. And we talked about this when we launched our small groups. We talked about what, what this looked like. But I want to tell you what, what he says, because we've talked about what happens after that sermon. 3,000 people get saved. But listen to what Peter says. This is verse uh, 20. Uh, I don't even know. What is it? This is verse 22. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, you've seen all that this man has done. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you praised him, celebrated him, put him on a pedestal, gave him a crown. You gave him a crown, but it was a crown of thorns. He says, this man was handed to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him of the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I mean, look at you people. Look at this man, Jesus. This is what you did. At that point, I'm out. I'm gone. Nope, you're going to tell me what I did. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. I don't want to hear this negativity in my life, all right? I want to hear some positivity. Come on. Come on, positivity, right? I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me what I did. Don't tell me how I crucified some man. I didn't do it. They did it. I was just there, you know, I was just, I applauded. I thought we were just applauding. I didn't know. He says, you knew because you saw what he did. You saw the miracles, the signs and the wonders. And you had him in your hands and you partnered with wicked men and you crucified him. But listen to what he, he says. This is uh, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's still your Messiah. He's still saving you. You killed him. 
He's risen from the grave, and he's here to give you an opportunity to seek forgiveness and repent of your sins. He loves you that much. But notice the response. I think it's found in uh, verse 37. He says, this is what the crowd says, well, what should we do? Man, I, I just, I think if that was our response to any correction, this, this is hopefully helpful to you. Because many of us, we don't like correction. But when we get it, we think, okay, okay, I'll listen to what I want to hear and then throw out everything else. You know, very encouraging. No, but if I can respond to any criticism, if I can respond to any correction and say, you know what? I'm, I'm wrong. So, and what if we ask this question? What do we do? What, what am I supposed to do? My wife says, hey, you were wrong. I can say, no, I wasn't. And I'm going to fight it until she believes that I was right or just until she's really upset. But what if I said, you know what, I was wrong. So, so what, what do I need to do? Talk about a response. That is, that is the character of how God has created us to be. What, what should I do? And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. He says, leave your lifestyle of sin. And what happens? 3,000 people come to know Christ and a foundation is laid that we stand on here today, the early church. And so I just wonder what kind of foundation you're building Many of you have a foundation that seems as if it's crumbling because nothing really is established. In fact, there is no rock around you or under you. There is a bunch of sand. And we live in South Florida. There is a lot of sand. And many of you know, things don't really last well in sand. As soon as wind comes, waters come, the waters rise, everything gets destroyed. Just like that. And I wonder if that's, that's a life we're building. That's a home we're building. It's crumbling and you've given up. Can I say don't give up. There is still hope. There is still time. Listen and hear the voice of God and obey his commands. And as, as Matthew 7 says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. It did not fall because its foundation was built on a rock. Amen. Let me give you the second one, building the practicing block. So we've talked about the hearing block. Now I want to just briefly talk about the practicing block. I won't spend a lot of time on this. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine, and then what? And puts them into practice. This is, uh, it may not be on the screen, but puts them into practice. So not only have I just heard it, but now I, I'm supposed to put them into practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, so everyone who hears the things that they need to hear, but instead does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. You see, hearing what you need to hear and not doing it is just the same as hearing what you need to hear and doing something else. And so this, I, I direct my attention to, to believers, to the church, to those watching and online, many who have, who have been in the faith, many who claim to be Christians. You know, recent polls would tell you that two-thirds of Americans claim to be Christians. But where is there, where's the fruit? Where's the evidence? I, I, don't, I don't see it. Do you see it? Two-thirds? Of Americans are believers? I, I don't think so. That's a much smaller portion of those who believe and have trusted in Jesus and would claim in front of a camera that he is my Lord and my Savior. That's, a, that's not two-thirds. And so for many who claim and, and have heard, and I've listened, I grew up in church, I listened to the words of my, my pastor, I've, I've, I've heard it all, but clearly you aren't doing any of that. You're, you're laying a foundation that's based just on hearing which will not last, but you have to base the foundation off of hearing that is resulting in doing. Come on, somebody say doing. Tell the person next to you, you gotta do. You gotta do. We can't just hear it. We've gotta do it. James 1, verse 22. I'm gonna go back to the book of James. 
Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. You know, in the ancient time, it was common for many people to follow a teacher, to listen to a teacher, and then to live what they were being told. They were called disciples. Jesus had 12 of them, and he handpicked them. And he didn't say, I just want you to listen to me. But he handpicked them, and he said, I want you to listen to me, and then I want you to do what I do. This is what he said when he picked up uh, Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. He didn't say, I want to talk to you more about what it's like fishing for men. He said, I want to make you a fisher of men. I want to make you. And so this is, so, so being made in a fisher of men is going to result in one hearing. Remember, I can't do if I don't hear. Hearing and now what? Now doing. Look at verse 23 of James chapter 1. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And some of you, some of you have a lot of mirrors in your household. You got one when you wake up. You got one in the bathroom. You got one in the hallway. You got one by the front door. You know, I got, I got like these massive mirrors in my garage where my wife works out. And, uh, and I walk through the garage to go to my truck and there's these massive closet mirror doors. And, uh, you know, I'm walking to my, my truck, and then I, then, I, then I stop, and I'm like, huh, you know. I just, I just got to make, sure I, I make sure nothing's in my hair, nothing's in my teeth. You know, I just, I stop and pose because that's just who we are. We just want, we want to see. I don't know. We're, like, conceited or something. And then I don't leave that and be like, oh, my gosh, I, for, I forgot what I look like. Some of you do because as soon as you get in that car, you, you whip down that, uh, that, what is that thing called in that car? With the, the visor? That's a visor? I mean, whatever. And you pull down that visor, and then you look at the mirror again. You, you adjust your rear view mirror, you're just looking at yourself. You're like, I forgot what I looked like three seconds ago. So I, I, it's how ridiculous does that sound? This is what James is saying. It's ridiculous to say um, that you're hearing something and you're hearing what you need to do and then you don't do it. It's, it's just as ridiculous as forgetting what you look like in the mirror. I want to read a, a quote by a man by the name of James Mafat. He's a Scottish biblical scholar and translator. He says, a, a teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain a lie or, or, or skillfully some Old Testament prophecy about Christ. But listen to this. But when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. And if they content themselves with sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. Can I tell you, church, write this down. When the sermon is done, it's not done. Come on, when the sermon is done, it's not done. And you would say, I agree with you, Pastor. You've had four conclusions, you know. You say, I'm done, and there's ten more dones. And here I am. My food is cold. The dolphins have already lost. I've, missed, I've just missed my whole Sunday. Work has started. How many conclusions you got, Pastor? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the sermon is preached, when it's done, it is not done. Now it's put into your hands. And this is essentially what Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount with. He's, he's said everything. He's concluded all the things. And he, now he says, he says, but it's not done. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues 
in it. Come on, somebody say continue. And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You see, building this practicing block says that I will look intently into the perfect law, knowing that it gives freedom, and I will continue in it. Come on, I'm going to continue reading it. I'm going to continue showing up. I'm going to continue diving in it. I'm going to keep going. I will always be a teacher of this book. I will never be done with learning it. I will be never done with praying about it. I will never be done being faithful to a God who loves me and has called me. I'm going to continue to go. I'm going to run the race until I die. I'm not stopping just because I showed up to church and I got saved. I'm not stopping just because I finished my degree. I'm not stopping because all my friends are saved now. I keep going. I keep walking in it. I keep doing it. Listen to my commands and obey my commands. Obey them. I've heard a lot of them. I got them on my wall. I got them in my house. I got them at my work. I know them. But are you doing them? Do you, do you actually practice them? Because we're, we're establishing a practicing block that coexists with a hearing block that builds a foundation that is on the rock. Which, by the way, the rock has a name, and his name is Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. So, so this is what Jesus concludes. If you hold to my teachings, it says this in John 8, 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know. Come on, somebody say no. You will know and the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, the promise, there is a promise to this. The promise is a blessing and the blessing isn't in hearing, but the blessing is in doing. Come on, write that down. The blessing isn't in hearing, but the blessing is in doing. And so, so I, I get to do I get to do, I don't have to, I don't have, I get to. I hear the words of God and then I do what I'm supposed to do. I, I form a hearing block and I form a, a practicing block. And I'm on the rock. Come on. How many of you have built a foundation on the rock that has stood the test of time? Come on, would you just stand to your feet all across this room? Man, we are building a foundation that is on a rock that will stand when every storm hits, when every wave hits, when the, when the waters rise, when the job isn't there, when the marriage is suffering. Man, I am standing firm on a rock that will not fall and the rock's name is Jesus. He is a miracle making God. He is a prodigal saving God. He is a body raising God. Come on, he is a chain breaking God. That is the rock that we stand on church. I don't know if you know that, but that's who God is. That's who he is. And so I can go through life. I got, I got ups and I got downs, but I got Jesus. And that is all that matters. Come on, so can we worship him this morning? We stand on a chain-breaking God. Come on, would you just lift your hands all across this room? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.